As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying. At this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism? That John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. <laughs> and so begins our text opening at the next chapter of the book. The context for the book of Acts is centuries earlier, God initiated a relationship with a man named Abraham. And in making promises to Abraham, he told him 
through your seed, singular, I'm going to bless the families of the earth. And from him he made a nation and scattered that nation across the earth. And around the world today are the descendants of Abraham, his natural descendants all over the world. And through them, the families of the earth were blessed through the seed, singular, Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, who fulfilled dozens of prophecies about a Messiah that would come. He came to the children of Abraham first, who were a nation biologically and culturally, Around the world, they had things in common genetically and religiously through their culture, tied together through the law of Moses as well as the laws they added to the law of Moses to make sure they didn't violate the law of Moses. For example, if you tell your child, do not go outside, and your child deems to make sure I'm obedient, I'm not going to get out of my bedroom. Now, you didn't say, don't leave your bedroom. You said, don't go outside. But the child, in his wisdom, knows if he's out there by the outer door, he may be tempted to go outside. So he, in his own heart, created a fence law to keep himself from violating your law. We do that kind of thing all the time to make sure, you know, I don't drink. I'm not going to buy a Coke at a liquor store. That's a good principle for you if you're tempted with that kind of thing. So culturally, they had created fence laws over the centuries that required they not go into the house of a Gentile. And so Jesus comes to them first and winds up getting crucified in the process. Gentiles and Jews were involved in that. And then God showed his son to be divine by raising him from the dead and establishing his church by filling them with his spirit. And so they began to proclaim his message to Jews all around Jerusalem. And so the enemies of Jesus wanted to stop that, so they scattered them by persecuting them. So they began to go to surrounding communities proclaiming the message of Jesus to Jews. They made an exception with the Samaritans who were like half Jews, but they didn't go beyond that. And the Lord gave Peter this dream that led him to think, hey, uh, I've got to rethink myself here because this message is for all people. And so begins our text. He was used mightily by God to share the message of Jesus in this house full of non-Jews who were not the children of Abraham biologically or culturally. But they, they were relating religiously. They had a fear of God. They had repented of their sins. They were ripe to hear the gospel. And while Peter's preaching to them, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, questions began to come from headquarters, orders from headquarters, and so begins our text. Back home at the ranch, back at the original church, the apostles, Acts 11.1, and brothers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, here's a map of his journeys, He had left Jerusalem to go to Lydda where God used him to heal someone that was in bad shape. And then he went to Joppa where they saw a woman raised from the dead. And then there he had that vision which caused him to change his view of Gentiles. And he went to this Gentile's house in Caesarea. This is, you can go to these places today. 
I recommend anybody that can to go to Israel. It'll build your faith. You see all these things in the Bible there. Geographically, right there on the banks of the Mediterranean is Joppa, and north of that is Caesarea where he goes, and this event happens, and then he goes back to Jerusalem, back to the home base. Those of the circumcision, that is the Jewish people there in Jerusalem, contended with him. They reasoned with him. They were willing to argue. You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You violated one of our fence laws. How dare you? But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning saying, and you can read this story, the first part of Acts chapter 10. He's just reviewing the story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, and I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. So in this sheet were animals that was not lawful for a Jew to eat according to the laws of Moses. And yet God is telling him to rise, kill these animals, and eat them. So he's a little bit confused. This was done three times, and all were drawn up into heaven. Who knows God sometimes will offend your mind to reveal your heart? He'll do it. To reveal Abraham's heart, he offended his mind by telling him to sacrifice his son. Now, he didn't allow him to go through with it, but he revealed the faith that was in Abraham's heart by having him act out which would, what would ultimately happen with God's son when Jesus died on the cross. In fact, it is within eyesight of where that happened. So God tells him this confusing thing, sacrifice your son, your only son. And so for three days, Abraham believed his son was as good as dead, yet he had faith in the resurrection of his son, which ultimately was the gospel, the resurrection of the son of Abraham. Not Isaac, though, but Jesus. You got it? And so here he has this vision where God is speaking in metaphors, somewhat confusing. So while he's thinking about these things, Peter continues the story. I said, not so, Lord, nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. Verse 9, but the voice answered me again, from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common or undesirable. Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brothers accompanied me. So he didn't go by himself. There were seven of us. And we entered the man's house. Verse 13. He told us, Cornelius, told us he had seen an angel standing in the house. And the angel said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. So while I'm speaking, talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls upon them as upon us at the beginning. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was born, the Jewish believers present, obeying Jesus, wait till you receive the promise, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. Their detractors were silenced. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Hallelujah. Now, there are some who have misinterpreted this text by saying you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved because they knew they were saved. They knew they had been granted repentance to life because they heard them speak with tongues, which is what happened. But in reality, the reverse is true. You must be saved before you can receive the Holy Spirit. So they knew they were saved because they had received the Holy Spirit. They weren't saved because they had received the Holy Spirit. They knew they were saved because they had received the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Other words, you have to come to Granbury before you can come to Generations. You don't come to Generations so you can come to Granbury. You come to Granbury so you can come to Generations. You get saved, become a believer, repent of your sins, believe on the Lord, hear the gospel and believe it so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can hear the gospel so that you can believe it. Does that make sense? You learn the ABCs, then you learn to read, okay? All right. Glad we cleared that up. If I didn't, please confront me after service, and we will go round and round. No, we won't. We'll agree to disagree if we have to. Now he shifts gears. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that had happened in chapter 7... If you're just jumping on board with us on our journey through Acts, it's all online on our website. You can subscribe through iTunes and other sources, as well as go to our media buttons on our site, generationschurch.org. Those who were scattered after the persecution that happened in Acts chapter 7 arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to no one but Jews only. So persecution ran them off. So they head north of Jerusalem in the area known as Phoenicia, into Syria to Antioch in, in Cyprus. But some of them, verse 20, some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that is the Greek Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So now we're seeing a shift in the life of the church. Now the evangelists aren't just coming from Jerusalem. They're coming from Cyprus in Cyrene. What's the Cyprus connection? Barnabas goes way back to the early days of the church. He was from Cyprus and he went there and sold land and shared the gospel there. And so outreach had already begun happening there. And now they're sending missionaries to Antioch, which is about to become another base of the church. A mighty congregation is coming into being there. So they, a great number believe and turn to the Lord. Then news, verse 22, news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. 
So people back at headquarters heard what was happening, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now, how crucial is that? He's from Cyprus. He knows some of those people. He's the ideal guy to send. He's known as the son of, Bar is son, of us is encouragement, the son of encouragement. That's his nickname. It's become his name. He goes to Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, verse 22, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Who wants to be a Barnabas? And a great many people were added to the Lord. So they're growing even more. Then Barnabas departed for Tarshish to seek Saul. That's about 100 miles away. He just goes out and makes this venture into Saul. Now, a little review there. Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, and he was at the forefront of the persecution to try to wipe out the Jesus movement. And he got converted. It did not work. He got converted and stayed in Damascus, left Damascus, went in the wilderness to study for a while, came back to Damascus, and then had to escape. Went back to Jerusalem. No doubt he was seen as a traitor there, and it wasn't long before it wasn't safe for him to be there. So the brothers sent him to Tarsus. Now, why did they send him so far away? That's where he was from. So he goes back to his old hometown. He's up there by himself. No doubt he's preaching the gospel and doing what he can. And Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him back to Antioch. No doubt for some more training. He departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Verse 26, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Assembling together is important for believers. It just is. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They didn't call themselves that. The unbelievers in the community called them Christ-likeians or little Jesuses or Christians. They labeled them, no doubt with disdain on their lips. But notice they were first called that there. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, verse 28. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So a famine happened in 46 AD. The price of grain, this can be proven historically, jumped to insane prices, and the famine began throughout the Roman Empire. So this kind of gives us the timing for when this happened. Verse 29, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. What an awesome guy Barnabas is. What an awesome church Antioch is. They didn't just think, hey, let's circle the wagons. A famine's coming. Let's build some big barns for ourselves. No, they thought, hey, our brothers at home have suffered enough. Let's give so they don't go hungry and die of starvation. Let's bless them. Isn't that awesome? What an example they are to us. We're on a journey through this great book, the Acts of the Church, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Some people call it the fifth gospel. Uh, Greg, what did you call it last Sunday or Sunday before last? Dr. Luke's Book of Testimonies. I love that, this book. And it's a story of how 
the movement Christ began, his ministry, his mission that he established, continued through the church. And I believe that is a calling of every believer. So our title isn't just the title of a series, but it's our vision as believers to continue Christ's ministry. Today, I'd like to speak to you specifically on the topic, being known as Christians. Being known as Christians. You may not want to be known as a Christian, but if you're an American, a lot of people in the world would view you as Christian. You come from a Christian nation. I know that is up for debate big time. Just read the newspapers. Sorry, state sometimes things can be here in this so-called Christian nation. But we are known as believers, as Christians, are we not? Biblically, we're known as a holy nation. We're known as a redeemed people. We're known as citizens of the kingdom. We're known as the friends of God, members of the body of Christ, saints, living stones, Christians. Even Peter echoes this in his first letter. Brothers and sisters of royal priesthood. There's many labels that we have. But what's unique about Christians is the world saw them as that, which turned into an honor, which many have brought grace dishonor to that name, but yet it is still an honor to be called a Christian, especially if you are one. Jesus' first followers, his followers were first called his disciples. Matthew 5.1 says that seeing the disciples, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, His disciples came to him. This is where we first see this term used. People of his discipline, the ones he's discipling or teaching, his students followed him to where he was. They came to him. Mark 2, many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. So these disciples were Jesus' followers. His disciples followed him. John 1 said that the two disciples of John the Baptist heard John the Baptist speak about Jesus, and they followed Jesus. So we're disciples, we're Jesus followers. The early church was also known as being of the way. This also was a label that the unbelieving world put upon them. In Acts 9 verse 2, Paul was wanting to persecute them. He was known as Saul at the time. If he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he had authorization, papers, permits to arrest people who were of the way. They weren't called Christians yet, so they were called of the way. Why? Jesus had declared himself to be the way. And he told people everywhere, follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. He had said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So according to him, I know it sounds arrogant, but if it's true, it's not arrogant. Is it arrogant to say the best way to come to Granbury from Fort Worth is down Highway 377? Is that arrogant? No, it's truth. Is it arrogant for Jesus to say, I'm the way? No one can come to the Father except through me. It's not arrogant if it's the truth, right? Oh, you can be a moron and try to go through the North Pole and back around under the South Pole to get to Granbury, but that's not the best way to get to Granbury. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's why we've got our job to do. What about the people we don't reach? That is God's job. I'm sure everyone is judged according to what they know. And our job is to get the gospel to them. 
Their enemies did not speak well of the way. They didn't like them. We've got to do something about this way bunch. In Acts 19.9, some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples. So this was Paul. He's getting the taste of his own medicine. Now he's being persecuted. Verse 26, there arose a great commotion about the way. So we're called disciples, we're called followers, we're called the way. There's even a church just down the road, the closest church to us. It's called thewaychurch.tv. It's a good name. He is the way. But they were first called Christians in Antioch. The disciples were first. Can we say first? If, it's, if there's a first, there must be a second, right? Not necessarily. I mean, if that's my first wife. You'll cut me, right? Divorce never, murder maybe. They were, in this case, they were called Christians elsewhere. They eventually began to be called Christians all over the Roman Empire. But in Antioch was where it first happened. And Peter taught, he took up the term, he taught that if we suffer as a Christian, it is our honor and reason to praise the Lord. He said, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in this matter. I looked at that and I thought, wow, what does he mean in this matter? I'm going to look at some other translations. Before I do, let me just talk about Bible translations. I have a bunch in my library. Bible translations are not like this. They're not like, here we have the original text, and here we have the first translation from that original text. We have a bunch of original text. Uh, if you don't believe it, watch Lee Strobel's movie, The Case for Christ, all about manuscripts. We have hundreds of manuscripts to the New Testament. And then the, the Hebrew manuscripts go back for centuries, scrolls, just unbelievable evidence, more so than any other ancient form of literature. Of literature. So here we have, let's say, um, the King James Version. And then we have the NIV. The NIV did not come out, the New International Version did not come out of the King James Version. It came out of the original manuscripts. So while it's newer than the King James, it's similar to the King James because it comes at a different time in history. Now, I appreciate the modern translations because I no longer speaketh with the thoueth and the thoueth. And those that are pro-King James, maybe you are. You need to know your King James has been, has been altered because the old S's in it look like F's. Thus saith, faith, the Lordeth. So we spell even differently. So even that's been altered, okay. To keep it current, we're not like Islam that says you have to learn Arabic to read the Word of God. All the, they denounce English translations of the Quran. They just do. You have to learn Arabic to be able to read the original. All right. Meanwhile, the original was written by the followers of, of Muhammad. They do not have an original. The followers of Muhammad, after he died, got together. Hey, we've got to come up with a book of his teachings. And so they came up with the Quran. So we have all these translations that come from the original. They don't come from one another. That would be unreliable. You know, we're... We're 50 translations removed from the original. No, we, they all go back to the original. The, the scholars that study the languages 
go back to the original and try to interpret in our words that we speak today. That's a translation. Now, a paraphrase is different. A paraphrase will be people trying to say the same thing but in their own words. Why did I go into all that? Because of what I'm going to do next. We're going to look at this verse, 1 Peter 4.16, in other translations. The New Living Translation, which I really love, the translators wrote, it's not like the New Living Bible. That's a paraphrase. The New Living Translation is a translation. Uh, it says, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. The American Standard Version ends with these words, glorify God in this name. Uh, The CSB Version says, glorify God with that name. Glorify God in that name, the English Standard Version. The Good News Translation, thank God that you bear Christ's name. When you're called a Christian, you're bearing Christ's name. Why? That's who he is. Jesus asked his followers, says, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, my father has revealed that to you. And on this rock, I will build my church. So the Christ is who he is. He's the anointed one or the Messiah. The God's word translation says, praise God for being called by that name. So being called a Christian, you may be hated for it. Why? Because a lot of Christians have been morons over the centuries. But just because you're born on September 11th doesn't mean you don't have a birthday. You are still who you are. And if we are born again, we are followers of Christ. We are Christians. The New Century Version says, praise God because you wear that name. The New International Reader's Digest version is not necessarily my favorite. Praise God because you are known by that name. The NIV, the New International Version, praise God that you bear that name. The RSV, the Revised Standard Version, under that name, let him glorify God. Who? The one who's been suffering for being a Christian. And the Weymouth New Testament says glorify God for being permitted to bear that name. So what is he saying? They're all basically saying the same thing. You are honored for being called a Christian. And if you suffer for it, thank God for the honor. Thank God that they see the resemblance. Now, if you make a mistake like I have done recently and you have to apologize to the world, you do it. Why? Because his name is worthy. His name is worth more than our name. Now, the Message Bible is a total paraphrase. It is not a translation, and it doesn't pretend to be, but I like to read it sometimes because it's fun. He reads as follows. Be proud of this distinguished status reflected in that name. It is an honor to be called a Christian. Now, let me ask you, what's in a name? Identity, right? It's who you are. Your mama named you Billy Bob. Billy Bob is who you are. Billy Bob is who you'll be. Now, if some idiot named Billy Bob kills a bunch of folks, are you going to change your name? You have that choice. But you were who you were before he did that. You're still who you are. You can show people who the real Billy Bob is, right? I have an uncle named Wayne. Loved him dearly till he went home to be with Jesus. Yet Wayne is the most used name as an alias by people in prison, more than other names, is Wayne. If you're named Wayne, 
Still be Wayne because your mama named you Wayne. But what if your last name was Hitler? Before World War II, I learned recently there were a lot of Hitlers in New York City. Dozens, maybe hundreds. Hundreds is what I heard. And after World War II, they disappeared. Either they all got unlisted numbers or they all changed their names. Now, there's still Hitlers around. They're just not naming their sons Adolf anymore. <laughs> now, I confess, I love to listen to NPR, mainly because they're just creative. They really are creative. I get tired of all the whining that happens uh, by a lot of networks. And one of my favorite programs is called Snap Judgment. It's a storytelling show, about 50 minutes long, and uh, a lot of the stories are true. And on an episode of Snap Judgment, the episode was called Notorious, you can look it up, was an interview with two sisters who were born Hitlers. The oldest sister is Leanne Hitler Meads and Susanna Hitler Brown. They have two sisters, Melinda and Jennifer. They said their father refused to change his name, said just because some guy named Adolf ruined our name doesn't mean he has to ruin it for us. They said our forefathers came to this country before there ever was an Adolf around. In 1760, three Hitler brothers came to Maryland on a ship named Peggy. One of their sons lied about his age and joined the Continental Army in 1776, grew up, was a war hero and married one of Washington's lieutenant's daughters, Mr. Hitler. Uh, Leanne Hitler Meads, when she was a little girl in eighth grade, ran for student council and took a beating for it. People walking by her doing this and people passing her in the hallway doing this and, oh, you know, and she would say, at ease, at ease, but just getting mocked. And, and her campaign posters, can you imagine Hitler for president? <laughs> They would put swastikas on it, and when she got up to give her a speech, she was booed off the stage for her name. She went home just a puddle of tears, and her mother consoled her and said, Honey, our family had our name long before a man named Adolf was around. We are who we are. Pastor, what a horrible illustration. Horrible. Couldn't you find something better? No, this is the perfect one because some Christians have really been bad. Some of those, I won't, I won't go into examples, but um, the, some of the things done in the name of Christ are just terrible marks in history that people hold against us. But those killers, those authors of genocide killed a lot of Christians too. Some rabbis, back when we were in Country Love Theater, I was reading and discovered this paper put out by a group of rabbis in New York City that wrote and made an official statement, we no longer hold Christians responsible for Hitler because when, if he completed his Holocaust, they would have been next. Now, mind you, there were plenty of Christians that spoke up and suffered for it, and there was a whole lot more that were pipsqueaks that now regret being pipsqueaks. The point is... Don't give up the name, Christian. Redeem it. Amen. It's an honor. You're not going to fool the enemies of Christianity anyway by calling yourself different, something different. Well, I don't want to be called a Christian anymore. I'm not a Christian. 
Your enemies aren't going to buy that. No, he is one of them. We don't have to have an identity crisis here. We are who we are. We're sorry for our mistakes, and we certainly hate what was done in the name of Christ that was a poor representation of Christ. They were not real Christians. They were counterfeits. Counterfeits have always been around. Just because there's counterfeit money, you're not going to throw your cash away, are you? Somebody spent $500 in counterfeit money anymore. I'm done with cash. Really? Well, cut my nose off to spite my face. We are Christians. Let's show the world how we should live. If you have a fish sign on your business card, by golly, you had better go to the mat to make sure your customers get what they pay for. You're representing Christ. And when you mess up, repent and make it right. We cannot continue the ministry of Jesus if we do not live as Christians. And we have been labeled this. And it is an honor. And if you suffer for it, praise God. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your word would bear fruit in all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to perceive things the way you see them. In Jesus' name. It has become popular in some circles to try to redefine ourselves and say we are not Christians. But in doing so, are we cutting ourselves off from our roots? Did we just come into being yesterday? No, we go all the way back to Jesus. We didn't just spring up out of the ground on our own. We have roots. We have succession. If we are just on our own, then there's no authority whatsoever in our lives. And we cannot lay claim to the Scriptures. So embrace who you are and show the world what a real Christian is. Amen? Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart, oh Lord. I want to be a Christian. In my heart, in my heart, in my heart, oh Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. I learned that in Liberia, West Africa as a little boy. What does that mean? It means this. I want to be like Jesus in my heart. In my heart, oh Lord, I want to be like Jesus. In my heart, in my heart, in my heart, oh Lord, I want to be like Jesus. In my heart. Who has seen the painting Leonardo da Vinci did? of the Last Supper. It's on a wall in Italy. 
beautiful. A couple centuries ago, someone decided to put a doorway right where Jesus' feet are. There's a door that juts up into it. So you go see this beauty, and there's a door where Jesus' feet are. Isn't that sad? Who was a moron that did that? Probably some Christian. But to me, it illustrates a point. The doorway into ministry is to recognize that we are the feet of Jesus. May we never forget it. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the Christ-likeians. We are the Christians. We are the expressions of the life of Jesus everywhere we go. The Greek word for salvation is sozo, means to make whole in every area of living. That's what he does, salvation. The Greek word for body is the word soma, which basically means body or an instrument through which our life is expressed. You express your life on the earth because you have a body, right? When your body dies, you no longer express your life on the earth. What about ghosts? I'm not even going there. (laughs) We are the soma of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the instruments of expressing the life of Christ. But before you can be the soma, you must receive the sozo. Are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus? Have you believed in him? Have you made him your Lord and Savior? Have you said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I ask you to forgive me? That's what he's waiting on to make you part of the soma for you to receive the sozo. Do that. Pray something like this. Let's pray it together. Oh, God in heaven, I come to you just like I am. And I call on your name and say, Jesus, save me. Make me your child. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you are risen from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. If you've done that, I challenge you to begin each day by asking your Lord and Savior to show you how to live that day. And begin to read the scriptures and continue to come into meetings like this and you begin to see the soma, that is the expression of the life of Jesus through you as being part of his body, come into reality in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if it's happening, you'll find yourself wanting to be baptized in water. It's just a desire will be there. And uh, let us know when that happens. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go get him, Christians. Don't hold back. Show the world what a real Christian is like. In Jesus' name, amen.